Well, it's time once again for another episode of Banker with the Beard. This is an exciting one for us. It's episode number 150, and we have both a great beverage, but even a better guest today. Uh, we're going to be enjoying the company of Eric Rigg, the president of Silver Spring Foods, uh, well-known um, business person in the community. I think we're going to have a great talk about Silver Springs and Hunsinger Farms, but we're going to be doing it with a great beverage. It's one I haven't had before, although I've heard great um, reviews about it. It's going to be the Tangerine Space Machine. It's a hazy IPA from New Holland. So I hope you enjoy it, but we'll start by just uh, bringing Eric on the show and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Well, tell us a little bit while we're getting going. Just who's Eric Rigg? Uh, are you from Eau Claire? What's the background? So, yeah, I actually, uh, my mom grew up here in Eau Claire. Um, obviously, with uh, the Hunsinger Farms, Silver Spring Connection, she grew up on the farm. Uh, she met my father skiing in Lake Tahoe when she was in uh, graduate school. And my dad was doing his um, residency there. And um, so they ended up staying out in California in, in the San Francisco Bay Area and Lake Tahoe area and met skiing. So I grew up in California and spent uh, most of my time out there. And I really wanted to, as a young kid, wanted to be a skier slash ski racer and make the Olympics. Uh, so I trained. I started skiing when I was 18 months. I started racing when I was six years old. That was a big dream of mine and then didn't quite make the U.S. ski team and go to the Olympics. So I did the pivot, the natural pivot to horseradish farming <laughs> and manufacturing. So that's, that's a pretty standard pivot in the ski racing world. And, well, uh, well, and actually, now, now I'm here to to sell horseradish. Well, didn't they actually hold an Olympics out there? Like, was it Squaw Valley or something yeah, out there? Yep, yeah, Squaw Valley. So that's where they bought a cabin. And that's where I spent a lot of my time skiing, going through the whole Mighty Might program out there. And they ha hosted the Olympics in 1960. Okay. Out there, so they still had some of that infrastructure and some of the some of the inspiration. I think when you're a youngster out there. So how close did you get? So uh, ski racing is a little different than some other sports. Where where in other sports you can go to college, uh, play there, and then try to make it professionally. Mm -hmm. Ski racing, the the window is really um, kind of at 18 year old, where you're making the development team and fast tracking in the U.S. ski team or not. So. Through high school, I was racing. I took a year off before college to see if I could make it. Started skiing full time, year round. Uh, so I'd go to New Zealand oh. uh, to in the summertime, sure. there wintertime, uh, so I could ski every day or as many days as I could to try to be competitive. Uh, didn't quite make the team, so I ended up racing uh, in college. I went to Middlebury College in Vermont, mm. and was able to walk onto the team there and. Um, uh, race competitively uh, at NCAA's, so I made All-American there. Excellent. And uh, was pretty successful, but again, most racers after college don't then try to pursue um, kind of the, the Olympics or anything like that. It's possible, it's happened, uh, but generally that's not the course, so you gotta, you know, pivot into something else. All right. So, introduction then of, of kind of yourself into the area, and the Huntinger Farm connection how what's kind of the, the you know your 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 mom was was part of the family uh started in like the 1920s or 30s if i remember right yeah 1929 okay. uh, was started by my great grandfather ellis hunsinger and how did he get into growing horseradish so the story goes he was originally a door-to-door -door lightning rod salesman 
and uh, there's only so many lightning rods I think you can sell. There's, there's not a repeat purchase right. generally. Uh, so this is end of the 20s. Um, depression quite hasn't quite hit yet, but he made the pivot into agriculture and farming because that's what his family had done. That's what he gr he grew up on a farm. So uh, I think he did it as a way to to provide for his family, feed his family, and he started with most normal things like um, many other farmers were growing at the time uh, sweet corn and strawberries and melons potatoes <coughs> and horseradish uh, I think coming from his German heritage Hunsinger very German sure. and uh, decided to try try that and what was really interesting about the horseradish is uh, one where we are uh, geographically we're near the 45th parallel so halfway between the equator and the North Pole so the climate here is ideal for horseradish and the soil conditions are really good for horseradish as well so um, these other crops were nice he would sell them in the, the farmers market after harvest horseradish grew really well here and he could also store it in cold cold storage and sell it all winter long so it provided for his family as a really economic reason and that's what really blew up then um, and, and he became a regional player and then uh, then a national player as the company grew. Well, before we move on, the beer has been poured. So, uh, gentlemen, what should I think of this one? Very good. That's worthy. <coughs> nice one on a hot day. So, I'm going to kind of gently ask this question because I know it's kind of traumatic, but um, your transition into the business probably wasn't the way you had planned and certainly not the way you wanted. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think my path to become the president of Silver Spring was a little bit circuitous. You know, obviously with the ski racing, uh, uh, coming coming back here wasn't always my, my goal growing up. And my parents were really good about not, not telling. I have an older brother, too, and we were involved with the company, got exposure to the company as, um, as youngsters, worked in the company, but it was never expected that we were going to, you know, go into management or take over. Uh, in fact, my brother is a, a physics professor at the University of Rochester in New York, so he, hmm. he went hmm. kind of a, a different yeah. path. And after skiing and ski racing, I had to f kind of figure out what I wanted to do. So, so I had asked, I think, our sales manager we make all these horseradish products and mustards but if you go to the supermarket they don't always carry everything that we make so i was asking him some tough questions about you know how hey how we make these great products 10 12 mustards how come they're not all on the, the supermarket shelf so well, it's not that easy you gotta you gotta find a distributor you, you gotta convince a buyer to put it on the shelf and there's a lot of competition for that shelf space you have to convince them that your product is going to sell mm -hmm. better than anything else that they can put there. And it's, it's quite quite a job to, to do that. And he's like, why don't you go learn, if you're interested in this, why don't you go learn how to do it? Not for us, but uh, I ended up working for a food broker. And a food, food broker will, will represent food manufacturers and help them get their products on the shelf. And it is, you know, many people think that it's as easy, oh, I'm just going to make this great barbecue sauce and I'm going to, know get it onto the supermarket shelf and make millions of dollars there's so much behind the scenes that you need to do to be able to set that up and I learned uh, and it was humbling and that really kind of sparked this interest in how could I learn more about this and, and help the company and so I moved into a, a marketing role 
um, and worked in manufacturing, in sales, and um, kind of worked my way up through the, through the business. Actually started on the farm too. So I, I've, I've been in most, most roles of the company at so some point. So even though you grew up in California and spent a lot of time on skis, you actually mm-hmm. did have an apprenticeship in some way, shape, or form with the business kind of throughout its, its major portions. My summers were spent here in Wisconsin working on the farm and then into production and then working in, in the sales arena. Okay. Well, I got to ask you this. Is it how is Silver Spring Foods made horseradish, mustards, and sausage, sausage, sauces fun? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the products themselves lend themselves to being pretty fun. You know, they, our, our mission, I, I view us as a condiment company, and our purpose in life is to make food taste better, not the same or worse, otherwise no one's going to buy our product. And how do we stand out relative to a lot of the other condiments that are out there? Well, we want to be exciting and fun and spicy. So most of our products have something special, something different than the kind of the run-of-the-mill condiments that are out there. We don't want something middle of the road. We want a little spicier jalapeno mustard, so we've got bigger chunks of jalapeno in there. Our flagship item is beer and brat mustard, and that's so good because we mill our own mustard seed here in the facility and we grow our own horseradish and we use fresh horseradish so it it knocks your socks off um, we, we come up with some interesting fun flavors like cranberry horseradish uh, to, to try to bring excitement and flavor to, to food and that's really why you know what our purpose is well you have a variety of, of different flavors of, of mustards and horseradish how do you come up with the ideas? Who's the testing crew? What what gets you know uh, green lighted as opposed to saying eh, I, I I don't think that chipotle <coughs> sauce and, and mustard maybe is a really good combination or something like that? Who makes those calls? So we have a cross functional team uh, of marketing, sales, and research and development that get together, and uh, it's called the Innovative Products Group, and they're looking at uh, th- through through the their, their different lenses. You know, marketing is kind of looking at consumer trends and what are what are people looking for, what are, what are the gaps in the market as far as products that that don't exist yet that maybe we can fill, and giving that information back to um, R&D. R&D is then making these products, these flavors, um, the different sauces, and their job is to make sure that we can actually physically make it in our facility. So what our capabilities are, how chunky is it, what, what are the different ingredients, and then sales comes in, and, and they are the ones that say, all right, we can make the most amazing product, great great packaging, you know, great, great name, but if they can't convince a buyer to put it on the shelf, it's not going to be commercially successful. So they come in and say, what is the, the, the saleability of this product? And so the three of them need to come together and agree that this product is worthy, and we, we can put the resources then behind it to, to launch it and and bring it to market. And so, so we've had a couple couple neat neat items. Um, the the newest ones, um, everything bagel mustard. So everything bagel is a popular flavor. So marketing, you know, brought that in. This is something that people are interested in, and R and D was able to develop it. We did some taste testing internally and externally, and sales is going out there, getting it on shelves, and it's, it's starting to. We're about a year into it, and it's starting to get some success. So you mentioned R&D, manufacturing, sales, the farm. Just how big of an enterprise is, well, we use the term interchangeably, but, but the name of the corporate 
enterprise is Hunsinger Farms and Silver Spring Foods is correct, a, correct. is the operating entity below it. Um, but how big of an operation is this? So we are, if, if you were to look at employee base-wise, we're about 260 employees now. Um, from, a, from a production standpoint, we process about 100 million pounds of product through our facility per year. Um, and we are multifaceted, so that's including everything. Uh, we are totally vertically integrated for horseradish. So we have a farming operation, which is the Hunsinger Farms. The main purpose of Hunsinger Farms is to grow the highest quality horseradish at the lowest possible cost. So we have a farm crew that manages that, that year round, and then we bring in some seasonal help to help us with the harvest and the planting in the spring and the fall. I, is there 100% um, client base Silver Springs, or do they sell beyond Silver Spring Foods? Yeah, so the farm grows about 70% of what Silver Spring is processing. So Silver Spring is buying about 30%. So you're actually buying in addition to what the farm produces. Yes, okay. and, that, and that's a, a change that we made in 2019. We were upwards of 90 to 95% of our own growing um, for the horseradish. And we got ourselves into a little bit of trouble with the weather. If you guys remember in 2019, it was a slightly bigger winter than normal. It froze earlier and it stayed around later. We had about two million pounds of horseradish that was left in the in the ground that we couldn't access, couldn't buy it on the market. So it was actually the first year that I took over as president uh, for the company, and and I uh, got a lot of calls from customers saying, "What kind of horseradish company are you running over there, Eric? If you don't have any <laughs> horseradish." So that uh, that affected me, and and how do we prevent that from happening again? I'd much rather have too much than than too little moving forward. So we decided to buy more on the outside market contract it with other other uh, farmers from um, uh, different regions to diversify our our supply a little bit okay cost it a little bit more but I, I think it, it allows us some advantages in stability of our supply so ignorant question here so is horseradish like grapes you know where you have different grapes grown in different regions have a different flavor um, is horseradish the same? I mean, do you have uh, something that's grown in Pennsylvania or grown in, I don't know, w Washington State, wherever it's grown, does it bring a different flavor profile to your product? It absolutely is true. Just like grapes and any other agricultural product, it can taste different depending on what the variety is, where it's grown, what the seasons were like. So wine's a great example, you know, as far as the, the different varieties. At Silver Spring Huntsinger Farms, we use one variety called Big Top Western, but there are other growers that have access to about 54 different varieties. And again, depending on the soil type and, and the region, they can have different flavor profiles. So we do a blend. We grow our own, and we buy some roots, and our finished product is a blend of a variety of different uh, uh, horseradish products so that we can have a more consistent flavor coming out. So we're kind of, uh, if you think about scotch, it's not a single malt. It's more of a blended sure. Johnny Walker Johnny style. Walker as opposed yeah. to, yeah, yeah. A, a, a Glen Levin or something like that. And that's so we can try to have that more consistency in, in flavor um, com coming out to the consumer. Well, th then how does it go year to year? Because, I mean, same thing like with, with, I'll use grapes again as the analogy. You know, you've got dry years, wet years, whatever. And so even year to year, the flavor profile can change. Is that the same also with horseradish? And if you're trying to get the same flavor that you had from this blend from 
2020 and you want to recreate that in 2022 or 2023 do you keep product in the in in the back shelf and try to taste the how does that work yeah so so we have a team um, from from the farm and also an r&d that's able to test the flavor profile and heat level of different varieties of horseradish and they'll be able to adjust the blend uh, to be able to have kind of hit the flavor profile that they're looking for in fact we developed a heat index for horseradish that's novel to our category um, we were inspired by um, Dr. Scoville and Scoville units, how they measure peppers mm. and how hot a jalapeno is versus a habanero. So no one was doing this in the horseradish space. We thought that this was a clever way to understand different varieties and, and different profiles. So we took the time, did the research um, to develop uh, the, the, the heat index for horseradish, which we call the Zing Factor. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we can have a horseradish or, or a product that's low on the Zing Factor of a, a Z to the power of one, uh, and then our, our upper level is Z to the power of five. So so being a horseradish expert as you are, um, what, what where do you like to be on the zing level? So our standard product, that would be our Silver Spring prepared, is right in the middle. That's about a three. Okay. That's where I like to be sure. most of the time. You can toggle up the heat if you're making your own like cocktail sauce just by adding more of it. Sure. But for the product itself, we have an extra hot horseradish that is designed for the consumer segment that wants to just knock their socks off. I mean, it's brings a tear to your eye, guaranteed, or your, or your money back. It's 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 pretty wild. And then we have some that that some consumers that that horseradish is pretty spicy for them, and so we develop the cranberry horseradish as kind of a starter starter level beginner horseradish. You know, so our hope is to introduce you to the horseradish category with a Z to the level one, and then maybe work, work your way up. Well, the same thing, I mean, you do the same thing like with wine <coughs> or single malt scotch, the same thing, whatever. You, you, you tend, most people's first experience with a wine is a Moscato or, or something mm -hmm. that, that, that's very sweet and whatever. And then, you know, at the, at the end, you're, you're, at, you're in the cabs and you're in the, you know, the Merlots. And, but if you, that was your first taste, it's like, like no, 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 I, I, I don't like this at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, with beer and whatnot, so you tend to have the, the lighter and you, you bring it through, which brings me actually to my next question, and maybe you've already answered, is how do you keep horseradish relevant for younger generations? Great question, because um, we are looking at the demographics and the core audience for horseradish, and it is, tends to be that 55 plus crowd is that that core audience is buying horseradish we did this study 10 years ago and it was that 50 55 plus crowd we did it again recently in in the the, the only thing that changed is the the audience is now 65 plus so it's the same it's the same group just 10 years older so we recognize this as a, a as an issue for us potentially to to appeal to a younger audience we're going to need to start doing doing some things that uh, are more interesting so we developed some things like um, uh, a partnership with Lambeau Field. Uh, we were the official horseradish of Lambeau, served wherever Bloody Marys were served. We, we thought we could engage with tailgating in that Sunday brunch experience where, you know, people are having uh, fun with their Bloody Mary, and Bloody Marys can be a whole range of things. Absolutely. And, and uh, we actually index really high in Wisconsin for Bloody Marys over mimosas on the brunch occasion. So... Uh, horseradish, of course, is a key ingredient, mm -hmm. in my view, for, for Bloody Marys, and you can toggle up the, the heat level a little bit if you want it a little spicier or add more. 
turn it down a little bit, you can add a little bit less. So I think that's one way is to engage that, that you know, tailgating, football, Sunday brunch crowd. Uh, another way we're doing it is through uh, social media and influencer campaigns and trying to find partners out there that can utilize our products and uh, show kind of the, the relevancy, you know, the, the, the great um, flavor profiles they can bring in a healthy way, you know, without the, the, the fat or cholesterol or sugar of some other condiments that are out there. Horseradish and mustards are really good for you. So there's kind of a healthy component where it can add a lot of flavor without some of the other issues that you'd get in a mayonnaise or a barbecue sauce or ketchup or something like that. So uh, influencers and social media is another way we're, we're trying to tap into that younger audience. And then some of the products that we're coming out with, the newer products, like a sriracha sauce, doesn't always have to have horseradish in it. We like to bring excitement and flavor to your food. So as long as it's making your food taste better, it, it can kind of pass through our prism. So something like a sriracha sauce or a wasabi sauce, we think would appeal to a younger audience as well. I got to make sure I ask you this question because I know it, it was a big deal for the area, obviously a huge deal for you folks. You hosted the 2021 Farm Technology Days and kind of what was that experience like for you and for the company? It was an amazing experience. Uh, there was a lot of work uh, that went into that. We were awarded the show about four years before um, we ended up hosting it. We were actually supposed to have it in 2020. Uh, but it got canceled due to due to COVID. When it was pitched to us, it was it was kind of a uh, you know don't worry about it. We just need some land that um, is big enough to host it. That's kind of close to the city. That isn't if it rains won't get get um, rained out like it was in Eau Claire. I think uh, when when Eau Claire hosted it last time was in '93. It got rained out, and I think two of the three days got canceled. So. Their primary purpose for selecting us was because we had sandy soil. <laughs> they thought that it would help. Hey, if it rained, we'll probably be able to have the show there. And anyhow, we, we got into it, and um, it was very rewarding. A lot of work, but um, 1,700 volunteers. We ended up um, having you know, 40 to 50,000 people on the farm. It was coming out of COVID. You know, the, the uh, tourism industry, the ag industry was, was kind of reeling, hospitality was reeling, so we felt it was really important to have the show if we could have it uh, for the economic impact for the area. And I think one of the, the greatest things that I got out of it was, um, you know, yes, there was some notoriety and, and whatnot coming out of it, and, and maybe more people know what Silver Spring is now versus they see the logo and say the Water Guys Company <laughs> com coming before, and now they're like, oh, yeah, hor the Horseradish Guy's coming now. Um, but it was it was the the my ability to look uh, up and around the Chippewa Valley for the other ag producers here, specialty crops, um, and how amazing this area is, how amazing Wisconsin is generally for what we produce beyond dairy. You know, half the state revenue for ag is dairy, but the other half are other things. Horseradish, we're the world's largest grower and processor of horseradish. Our neighbor, Chippewa Valley Bean. You know, a hundred million pounds of red kidney beans. You know, out, out of this area. So I think they're the world's largest producer of red kidney beans. We invited uh, Marika Gouda, who is mm -hmm. one of the most award-winning Gouda cheeses uh, in the world. Um, you know, she was able to come um, Ferguson's Orchard. You know, they're not just um, you know that that uh, 
tourism, agritourism, but they, they have orchards all over. They're one of the largest producers of the specialty, mm. specialty apples for like the, the Honeycrisp and the Pizzazz and um, Superior Fresh, you know, for oh, they were yeah, able to come and do the salmon, the, uh, the aquaponics. And so I was just blown away by, by these businesses that are around us and what they're doing and how they're surviving and thriving in, in Wisconsin. Do you connect with them on any kind of an ongoing basis? Oh, yeah. Well, there's, we've had lots of conversations and collaborations. Um, you know, we, we've talked with the Children's Museum and, and set up a display there. Um, and I know they're talking to, to those other kind of core um, uh, farms that we invited to Farm Technology Days. You know, anytime there's any kind of questions about what's going on in the Chippewa Valley from an ag standpoint, often those, those um, people are asked. So, Eric, i got to ask you, you know, you grew up in California, mm-hmm. uh, went to school in Vermont. Uh, you live now in Eau Claire. Have, how have you seen the growth of the community, and how is that helping or not helping, or is it neutral to hunting or farms? Um, so, so we moved back here from, from uh, Philadelphia. My wife's from Philadelphia, and I grew up in, in San Francisco, as I mentioned, and so like any good compromise meeting in the middle, you know, come, come to Eau Claire. Uh, we have three kids, and we think that this is just the best place to raise a family, um, run a business. You know, our employee base is so strong, access to raw materials, and um, we love recreation, you know, going north, you know, onto the, the rivers and the lakes here. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing community, and it's, it's grown. There's been a lot of investment. Um, a lot of opportunities for us to be able to make a difference. That's one of our fundamentals. Uh, one of our core beliefs is the more successful we are, the more we're able to give back to the community. And this is why we said yes to hosting Farm Technology Days because it was you know, so beneficial for the, for the area. So we love it here. We, we do visit Philadelphia and San Francisco every now and again. And we, we're used to, I think, are accustomed to the lack of traffic here. And, you know, you can always find parking. And yes. When we go to those other cities, we're like, oh, you know, we're, when when can we come home? And and so this is this is home for us, and this is where we're going to stay. So, the future, obviously, uh, the Huntsinger Farm seems to be in a great place. Um, you folks are growing. You're adding more different products. You're diversifying. Uh, what do you see maybe the next five to ten years holding for the for the company? Yeah. So so my main goal. Uh, in, in taking over. I'm the first family member to be in this role as president since my mother had it in 1973, uh, is I, w- I want to leave it in better shape for the next generation than when I found it. So uh, there's really four main ways I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to be a great place to work, a great place for employees to, to grow and develop and uh, kind of fulfill themselves there, solve problems for customers, you know, if we continue to do that, uh, big and little problems, you know, that's, that's really the essence of any business. Um, we want to weave our brand into the fabric of the community, make a difference is one of our fundamentals, and of course, leave make the world a tastier place, no roast beef sandwich left behind. So if I do those four things well, I think we'll be in business for another 90 years, hopefully another uh, multi, you know, couple generations. Um, but what we can do is, is have a longer-term view when we make um, an investment decision, investing in sustainability, for example, and some of the solar programs and the water retention and the rotation we have on the farm uh, all allows us to, to kind of set things up for the next generation in, in a better way. Well, that's a great place to leave it, I think. So uh, thank you for listening to uh, 
Uh, Eric and I chat over a beer today. If you like what you heard, please give Banker with the Beer a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Northwestern Bank website, or wherever you listen to your podcast from. Banker with the Beer is sponsored by Northwestern Bank, building stronger communities where people matter.